Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, again, good Friday morning, and thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio uh, without Carmen, unfortunately. But she'll be back Monday. Yeah, she's been on vacation, so hopefully she and her husband and family have been enjoying some time away. But she's, I'm sure, going to be ready and raring to go Monday morning here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul, her try-to-be-faithful producer, who um, this this week has been on the other side of the mic and then Ryan has been my faithful producer. So Ryan, thank you so much for getting up early, dealing with snowy weather and all this other stuff. And you are welcome. You're welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you with me. Uh, are you a Mark Wahlberg fan as far as movies? Yeah, I can definitely say I've seen some of his films. I wouldn't call myself like a fan of his, but yeah, I've seen some of his stuff. Okay, well, yeah, he was on the Today Show uh, just the other day, and uh, he says, yeah, I understand religion isn't popular in Hollywood, but he can't deny his faith. Wahlberg on the show said he doesn't want to jam it down anyone's throat, but it would be an even bigger sin for him to not recognize what he believes in. So the actor says he needed discipline when he jumped from, I didn't know he had a music career. Never even thought of that. But jump from music to movies, and and faith has been the best way for him to achieve uh, that. And he adds it's it's a balance when it comes to being an actor and also championing his faith. Speaking of faith, I know the last few weeks we've had a lot of attention on Asbury University and just a move of the spirit that has been birthed there. As a matter of fact, on Monday, one of Carmen's guests will be a person who's a reporter uh, down in Kentucky who will be uh, joining her to talk about what's been going on. Now, I did see a news article, a headline from a TV station down that way, that the headline said, Asbury University revival comes to an end. Well, not quite. The issue is... Asbury's in this little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, home to about 6,000 people. But with what God was doing and people curious and wanting to see, they've been hosting about fifty to 70,000 people during the revival. Little itty-bitty town can't handle all that. So the university, uh, working with the city of Wilmer, basically said, yeah, we're going to kind of move things online at this point because they just can't handle the influx, which is interesting Okay, remember yesterday we were talking about the National Collegiate Day of Prayer, or the Collegiate Day of Prayer, I said, and they had a special live stream last night, and that's the start of it moving online, so to speak. Well, it, here's, the, here's the interesting thing. The, the National Collegiate Day, or the Collegiate Day of Prayer, I keep wanting to put national in front of it, Collegiate Day of Prayer is an annual event by this organization a couple of years ago, they had already scheduled for the event to start from Asbury University. You think God's up to something? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Well, okay. God is up to something with youth. Let's go back in time to the late 50s and 60s. 
A lot of turmoil in the world with the Vietnam War, and then you add in the sexual revolution and the increasing popularity of the use of mind-controlling substances, illegal drugs and such. Many young people of that time bought into what they thought they were going to do, live free, but only to find out it was bondage. And there was this pervasive feeling of hopelessness that was hitting many in many teens and high school students, or rather college students and, and just the younger generation. But then... God moved on the hearts of young people, offering them hope. We've been talking about the Asbury Revival. Now, well, there was one like that in 1970 as well. Think of 1972. Campus Crusade hosted a huge rally in Dallas called Explo 72, dubbed the Christian Woodstock. And it had lasting ripple effects among young people of that time. And around about that same time, God was doing some amazing things along the West Coast, reaching many burned-out hippies. And that's what we want to talk about because now there's a movie telling that story, hitting the theaters this weekend. And if we're talking movies, we've got to talk to Adam Holtz and the folks that plugged in. So Adam joins me next here on Faith Radio. Oh, those Hollywood horns ushering in Adam Holtz and the team at Plugged In. You can find them at PluggedIn.com, offering reviews of movies, TV shows, YouTube channels, uh, books, games, you know, video games. You guys are pretty busy. We are pretty busy, Paul. That's a true statement. All right. And you were busy last week. The reason you weren't with us last <laughs> week and Paul AC was filling in is because you were hobnobbing out in California I- with... <laughs> <laughs> with with people yeah. around the premiere of this movie called Jesus Revolution. And I want to start yeah. there because um, if you've been listening, other shows this week on, on Faith Radio, I think they had on Focus on the Family, they're talking with Greg Laurie, who was one of the people impacted by Chuck Smith and this Jesus Revolution back in the 60s and 70s. So let's get let's get to the movie. Tell us about it and, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, this is the latest movie from the Irwin brothers, John and Andy. And this time around, uh, John is the co-director with another director named Brent McCorkle. And Andy is a producer. But this is the team that has brought us movies like American Underdog, I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe. Uh, terrific movies. Woodlawn. Mm-hmm. I won't list I like all of them. Uh, Mom's Night Out with Patricia Heaton. Um, I think these guys are absolutely at the top of their game if i can say that without sounding crass they are really just i think continuing to produce stories based on true stories because i think every single one of those movies well with the exception of mom's night out was based on a true story and uh this is a true story and you have hinted at it in the early 70s uh there was sort of an itinerant hippie preacher slash evangelist slash really prophet and prophet meaning um, God seemed to work through him in supernatural ways. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but uh, his name was Lonnie Frisbee and he was wandering down the Pacific coast highway one day. And wouldn't you know it? He um, 
He's hitchhiking, gets picked up by a young woman named Jeanette Smith. She's the daughter of Chuck Smith. At this time, Chuck Smith, who we now know as the founder of Calvary, Calvary Chapel um, and who's played by Kelsey Grammer in the movie, his church was really, uh, well, we could say atrophying, and that might be the kind way, but dying. It was shrinking. And it was there was there was concern there that they weren't sure what the future of the church would be. He and his wife sit at home and watch the news about the Vietnam War and about, you know, the hippies and the counterculture. And like many of us, his primary attitude, I would say, is somewhere between disdain uh, and maybe even close to contempt, but not quite. But his daughter, Janet, says, you know what? These people say they're all about peace and love. That's what you say you're about. Maybe you should listen to them. And, you know, he <laughs> makes a joke about, you know, bring a hippie home and we can have a conversation. And uh, so she does. And Lonnie, <laughs> Lonnie Frisbee kind of blows his mind. Um, and at first he has no idea what to do with him, but he listens to him. And uh, one of the things that Lonnie says is that, you know, these people are searching for God, but they don't know it. And they're searching in all the wrong places. And and Lonnie himself says he tried everything. He did everything. Uh, but only Jesus really touched that spot in his heart. And um, and so it's the story of what happens when this guy, you know, comes to Chuck's church. And Chuck takes a brave step in saying, you know what? We want to make this a place that's welcoming, that is open to um to people that maybe we wouldn't think God would be working among. And a number of people in his congregation, they freak out and leave too. But but Chuck doesn't give in to their pressure. Uh, and uh, there's one scene where they, they all start showing up barefoot. And one of the one of the rich congregants later says, you know, they're going to get stains on the, on the shag carpet. And Chuck Smith, Kelsey Grammer says, so are we now trying to save the shag carpet? And it's just this penetrating moment of mm -hmm. what are our values as a church um terrific movie paul uh, and i've got more to say about it but i'll uh i've been talking <laughs> for a, a minute now so let me take a breath and let you get a word in edgewise no i've been soaking this in i haven't seen it yet i've seen the the uh trailers and such and first off i to be honest okay i worked at a radio station back in the 1980s and we aired chuck smith's um his show uh the word for today and, I, you know, I've seen him speak a few times on video and such. And when I when I first heard Kelsey Grammer, Chuck Smith, yeah. are you kidding? And then I saw the movie trailer. Uh, and I'm kind of going, yeah. oh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, he, he, totally. He, he, he got it. He got it. And I'm kind of happy because uh, the guy we know as uh, Jesus from The Chosen gets to play Lonnie Frisbee. Yeah. yeah. So we have Jonathan Rumi playing Lonnie Frisbee and... If anything, he looks even more like Jesus here than I think he does in The Chosen. <laughs> like, there's this sort of wildness to him. Um, and, and let me say one thing about the movie's rating. It's a PG-13 movie, and you might say, well, why is this movie PG-13? And that's a legitimate question. Yeah. Um, I think that the Irwin brothers and Brett McCorkle do a really, really excellent job of suggesting and hinting at, and to a certain extent, showing us the drug and hippie counterculture without doing it in a way that you feel like they're glorifying it or that you're being assaulted by, you know, making us watch the very thing that's, that's a big problem here. Um, but we do see a group of kids who we know have taken LSD. They're all stoned. 
Uh, and they kind of illustrate that inebriation on the drug by, you know, kind of fuzzy edges around the camera uh, in a way that communicates, yeah, this is really affecting, in this case, Greg Laurie's mind. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't think it's inappropriate, but I do think it's mature enough subject matter that I probably wouldn't take really young children without thinking through how are you going to talk about that issue? Uh, and also we see that Greg Laurie's mom was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. We see her smoking. Um, and um, she is is really kind of a mess. And she's played by Kimberly Williams Paisley, who's been in a lot of faith-oriented productions and is pretty outspoken about her faith. So uh, again, I think that they do it tastefully. I think they do it with a lot of restraint. Um, but it's not totally sanitized, right? I mean, they're not trying to pretend that this didn't happen, but instead they're they're trying to show us what this world looked like, you know, without necessarily going all the way uh, down the rabbit hole, if I can uh, appropriate a little bit of Jefferson Airplane lyrical <laughs> content. Uh, way to go. So, I mean, at one point, uh, Greg has it. They, he's at a, a Janis Joplin concert and a play, and Timothy Leary, the founder, the guy I think who yeah. invented LSD and was, you know, they call him the prophet. <laughs> um a plane flies over and drops tabs of LSD and, and they're just little circular things. And they're, you know, it's on a little cardboard thing with a white rabbit holding it. And so uh, again, that's from the song, just ask Alice from, uh, I don't know, 67 or 68 mm. Jefferson airplane. Yeah. Um, hold on. I got to cough for a second. Not a problem. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, let's continue this conversation in about 90 seconds here. And we, again, we're talking to Adam Holtz from plugged in talking about the Jesus revolution and actually, okay. Understanding the culture, which that came from, because I think that's important as we look at what's happening among our youth today, like in the 1960s and seventies, again, God moved in a wonderful way back in that era. And as we, Hope for it now and pray for it now. It doesn't hurt to remember what God did then. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We got something more than just religion. We got something more. It's That takes you back to uh, Chuck Smith's team uh, back at Calvary Chapel, one of the bands that got birthed out of that move uh, movement, uh, Blessed Hope. Hey, I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio, talking with Adam Holtz from Plugged In as we look at the movie Jesus Revolution. And, you know, we were talking about what God was doing back then, and the movie Woodlawn was one of the other ones that is kind of one of those era pieces that the Irwin brothers did, uh, because the evangelist who impacted the Woodlawn High School came 
out of Explo 72 that I mentioned, oh, which wow. was a big event back in 1972 in Dallas. Billy Graham spoke at, and some of the bands that Chuck Smith helped you know, encourage were part of that as well. So it's like, wow, small world. That is absolutely right. And I just wanted to add really briefly, you know, Lonnie Frisbee, um, when we meet him, he's in, I would say, a, a really good place and God is using him. But as we, as the movie progresses, we see he had some deep insecurities and increasingly wanted credit for what he was doing. He wanted to be on camera mm. and started taking credit for things. And Chuck basically said, Lonnie, it's not going to work and asked him to leave what they were doing. And if you dig into his life, you'll find out there are a lot more details. Lonnie had some pretty deep struggles and a pretty tragic life. And some people might say, oh, this movie kind of whitewashes that. I don't think it does, but I do think it, it hints at, you know, kind of his trajectory after the events of this movie. So that's worth pointing out as well. That is, that's an important thing to point out because, you know, you look at the history of various moves of the spirit, revivals, call them what you wish. There's good stuff that comes out of it, but humans are humans. And exactly. they oftentimes get involved in things they shouldn't. And so we got to be mindful of that, but be in prayer. Yeah. Well, we still have a few more minutes, and there's other stuff I wanted to get to. Now, I saw this at Plugged In. There's a move, or pardon me, a, a stage play called The Thorn, which may become, which yeah. is coming to the screen. Now, I've never heard of The Thorn, but you, you guys have it Plugged In. Yeah, you know, The Thorn is a play that was produced by... Uh, New Life Church, which is a big church here in Colorado Springs. Um, and it's been around a long time, like 25 years. And each year it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so there's now a filmed version of it that will be coming to the screen uh, fairly shortly. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to having people be able to experience that. And I would compare it to um, the kind of stuff that we've seen from Sight and Sound Theaters, and they're actually doing movies now too. So I think it will be another opportunity to interact in a really creative way with uh, with the story of Jesus and the story of his crucifixion. Uh, and this is something that's just sort of grown locally and organically here. So a lot of us here who have seen that stage production over the years are excited that it is going to be coming to the big screen as well. Cool. Okay, one more thing I want to talk about in our remaining minutes, like two minutes here. Um, I saw news articles about there's efforts to rewrite I keep <laughs> Raul Dahl's Roald Dahl. Dahl's yeah. books, you know, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, among others, because, okay, no question, he, he was a person of his time, and some of the stuff he, some of the words he uses, some of the content by modern tastes and modern sensibilities doesn't fly very well, and some people are wanting to rewrite or at least, uh, you know, edit it severely. And when I saw that, I, I thought about our our conversation with you sometime back when there was the news of Disney putting disclaimers on some of the old movies that, you know, a lot of us hold dear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would say this is political correctness absolutely running amok. Um, and in one of the articles I read about it, it talks about, you know, how in Matilda they're changing adjectives like fat and ugly. So this is even going, I think, a step beyond um, you know, sort of the, the progressive causes that we've seen. Obviously, there's been a huge uproar over the years about, you know, um, some of Mark Twain's stuff. Oh, no question. Um, 
But all of those things were created in a particular context. And I think when we go back and start rewriting them, because some of these things uh, are jarring to the modern ear. And in this case, um, with Matilda, the meanness of some of the characters in that story is kind of the point. Right. Uh, and actually, I've always found Roald Dahl's stuff just borderline creepy. Uh, <laughs> I know, too. I know it's kind of, it's beloved, but the guy had a particular sensibility. I mean, same thing with Shel Silverstein, you know, is he up next? Are we going to go? Uh, he's got a lot of stuff in where the sidewalk ends, his poetry that it's kind of weird, but it, it came out in a particular moment. And so mm-hmm. I think this impulse to say, Oh, we want to still enjoy these stories, but we're going to scrub it from every word, scrub from it every word that might make somebody feel bad. I'm like, well, literature is supposed to jar us. Or at the very least, maybe that's an overstatement. Everything that's created in writing is one person's artistic point. It's their point of view. Uh, and so I think there's criticism uh, actually from both the right and the left with this that you know, if he were alive, he would not be letting this happen. But the estate of Roald Dahl has agreed to uh, to let these changes be made by, you know, in the 2022 Puffin editions of his work. And mm-hmm. I just think it's indicative of where we're at. And instead of instead of editing things, maybe what we need to be doing is cultivating a con- you know a conversation with our kids that, hey, some of this stuff from from earlier times there are things that are going to be offensive. There are going to be words we don't use anymore, but that doesn't mean we have to censor the past to be able to understand what their viewpoint was. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Adam, thanks again. One more thing I want to tease here, and that's an article we were talking last hour with, uh, with Chris Martin about kids and social media and, uh, plugged in has a great article on is social media shaping adolescent brain development. We'll have the link in the show notes for that. But again, Adam, thanks again for being part of mornings with Carmen. You bet. Thanks, Paul. Right. This is faith radio. So where's your mind right now when you think of world news? If I say that, what's happening in the world? What are you thinking about? Probably, okay, Ukraine, it's the anniversary of the war. Maybe you're thinking about stuff happening with China and Taiwan, uh, stuff like that. I bet you're not thinking about Haiti, are you? Well, in Haiti, that was the forefront of conversation between some Caribbean leaders tackling regional issues. Some top officials in Canada, the U.S., and Haiti met on Wednesday behind closed doors to talk about the spiraling chaos in Haiti, a topic that's expected to dominate the annual Caribbean trade bloc meetings that opened in the Bahamas. Caribbean leaders have complained about the surge of migrants that have, they say, have been straining the budgets of these small island countries, struggling with the influx of hundreds of Haitians, the vast majority fleeing deep poverty and the spike in violence and killings and kidnappings as uh, you know as gang activity has uh, grown over the last uh, several years haiti has long been the recipient of much global and humanitarian aid but conditions there just seem to go from bad to worse why some years ago we we had a chance here on faith radio to talk with michael matheson miller 
He uh, is part of an organization called Poverty Cure, and there's a there's a documentary they put out called Poverty Inc. I'm going to make sure this is in the show notes. It is a worthwhile documentary to watch. I believe it's on Netflix. Uh, the documentary told about the well-intentioned but often misguided global humanitarian aid programs. And yes, Haiti is brought up into that. Next, we want to talk about a specific aspect about how humanitarian organizations, even some Christian ministries, seek to help out Haitian children. Well-intentioned, but unfortunately not truly helpful. Frederic uh, Frederic Jean-Baptiste joining us shortly here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Has your church, maybe you, gone on a missions trip to the nation of Haiti? I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Faith Radio. Many have. <laughs> Haiti has received a lot of uh, a lot of humanitarian aid, a lot of church attention for decades, and yet it continues to languish. And there's reasons, at least some reasons. There's multiple reasons for that. And one of those reasons we're going to address right now, um, joining me from Haiti, from Port-au-Prince, Frédéric Baptiste, uh, pardon me, Frédéric Jean-Baptiste. She's a child protection program manager for an organization called Changing the Way We Care. You can find them at changingthewaywecare.org. Frédéric, thank you for joining me here on Faith Radio. Thank you, Paul. Good morning, everyone. How's the weather today down in Port-au-Prince? Oh, it's a beautiful sunny sky. <laughs> <laughs> you can send some of that up our way up and up toward the United States. We've had a major winter storm over the northern part. We, we, could, we could use that warmth. Send oh, it our no. way. I uh, wonder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back in back in January of 2010, it's hard to believe it's been 13 years. There was that huge earthquake that devastated Port-au-Prince and some of the surrounding areas. And yes. the... There was a lot of work being done because, okay, there are some kids who are orphaned in that terrible action. And so what was the response by so many people? Build orphanages. And from there, things started falling apart, didn't they? Frederic? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Indeed, indeed. So there was a great generosity from the international community. It was wonderful. But um, the key, the important aspect was that the majority of children impacted by the earthquake, they still had living parents or other family members. So now with the presence of orphanages, it ultimately caused or perpetuated many family separations. And that is one of the work that Changing the Way We Care, the initiative between, um, it's an initiative of um, Catholic Relief Services, CRS, in Maestro International with partners around the world. And the work that we're doing is really to try to reconnect children with their families with something called family-based care. Okay, let's talk about the family-based care. First off, because, okay, of the original institution God made for humanity was the family, the mm-hmm. husband, the wife, you know, Adam and Eve, and then their children, and then the extended families. I think we often forget how important the family unit however it forms, whether it's just the nuclear family and the extended family, but how important we that is for what God intended. Can you address it that? It is key. It is key. For children everywhere, bright futures begin with loving families. 
um, it, that is again with changing the way we care. It, we we realize and we have we've had some success in seeing that how by helping families become stronger and stay stay together, we can help every child achieve their God given potential, and in that way, it can create a brighter future for our world. Exactly, exactly, and it it goes. I mean, family is one of those. I, I mentioned before you came on the movie Poverty Inc. And mm-hmm. one of the stories that Michael Matheson Miller and his team had in there had to do with Haiti about solar-powered streetlights. Now, mm-hmm. after the earthquake happened back in 2013, um, all these international humanitarian organizations came in helping, and they thought, okay, if we're going to get some security, um, and you know, one thing would be helpful is having streetlights. But since the infrastructure was shot, solar powered made sense. I mean, you guys have plenty of sunlight, not a problem. So they brought in from out overseas a whole bunch of solar powered streetlights, even though there was a well known company in Haiti that made these streetlights. They could have in, not only bought from them. This would have impacted the community as far as employment. And basically, I love the phrase that Matheson had. Instead of, instead of these people who are in, you know, in difficult straits, instead of them being the object of our pity, help them be the subject of their own redemption and recovery. And you're, you're, you're kind of doing that same thing. You, you, want, you want to strengthen families within the uh, bounds of Haiti. Right. Exactly. So, so mm-hmm. th- that's exactly it. Um, so the earthquake was 13 years ago in 2010. And again, as I said, there was an inpouring of support. And indeed, there were children. Well, a lot of children were separated from their families. But as I, as I mentioned at the top, at least 80 percent of them, they had families. Um, and and we realized we know that poverty can be a key driver in separation in orphanages even that involves working with family members and the community members to change their mentality on how they understand the support orphanages offer and that they to support them and educate them on how they can provide the same support at home. It happens that family members would think that if they have their children in orphanages, at least they could the children would have access to three meals a day, basic health care, or even having access to education. And that is where Changing the Way We Care, our initiative, it's really working with families to help them change how they act and how they understand orphanages. And there's also working with orphanages to transform how they support support communities. So they're not a driver in separating families any longer, but the support that they want to give, they can still provide to children within their homes, within families. That makes a lot of sense. I want to back up a little bit, Frederic, because, okay, talking about these children, they go into orphanages, and the, the, for the parents, they're in de- desperate situations. They feel, okay, this is the best option available. And without support, maybe it is. But what happens? I mean, these kids are in the orphanages. What really happens to them? That Yes, they're getting the food. They're getting the meds, their medical attention. They're getting the education, but... There's something missing. And what does that do in their hearts? That is true. And I would like to mention, um, after the earthquake, before the earthquake in 2010, nationwide in Haiti, we had about 300 orphanages. And within the three years that followed 2010, there was a 150% increase in those orphanages. And um, so- what percent? 150%, 150%. Wow. So we went from 300 
to more than 754. And in 2017, the National Arm of the Child, the National Arm Child Protection National Arm of the Government, they did an evaluation of all those orphanages. And out of the 754, only 30, 330 of them were providing the standards of care. So the, it was well-intentioned in building orphanages and supporting orphanages, but they're, not, they're often not meeting the needs of children, maybe emotional, but even we know that families turn to, to orphanages for food, for example, thinking that the children will have three meals a day, and that's often not the case. And then what we've been seeing on the ground. Okay, we, we've been seeing, there's been a lot of reports of gang activity in, in Haiti. It's just, it's the last few years. I mean, there was a group of missionaries that was in the news up here who were being held hostage. Now, eventually, they were able to get them out, uh, thankfully. But uh, again, you've been dealing with gang activity. Um, how many of these the the young people in because usually it's young men and such that are involved in these gangs, isn't it? Oftentimes, oftentimes, and, um, it 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 is it's really a difficult con- um, context for our work. It has been really difficult, but we're trying to navigate as much as possible in making sure that families feel supported in the ways that we can. So, for example, the type of support that we provide is financial financial education. And financial education also comes with a financial support. Right. And aside from the financial support is also par- positive parenting curriculum. It's a 14 session where the caregivers come in with the children um, so they can learn how to raise children at home without um, re- resorting to, for example, harsh discipline. And um, for example, that we also put in place micro savings, micro lending um, communities. That way families, they can put in place a small business and they can continue to thrive and keep their children at home and they can respond to to their needs the family needs okay. but yes it's it's been a difficult context to say the least <laughs> yeah. but we are we are navigating um we're adapting that it requires adapting really quickly on the field yes Frederic Jean-Baptiste is my guest right now here on Faith Radio as we talk about changing the way we care. Yes, orphanage, orphanages can be helpful, but overemphasis on that, especially when children are not truly orphans, yeah, that can lead to a lot of problems. And we're going to continue this conversation in just a few moments. Again, you can learn more at changethewaywecare.org. This is Faith Radio. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. When I took a trip down to um, Honduras a uh, well, a couple of Novembers ago, 
gang activity was a was a big issue. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio, and I went down to tour the work of One Child, an organization that runs these hope centers that really helps to support not just children's education, which they do that and such, but they also support the families of these children as well. And we had to travel through some areas that were controlled by gangs. A lot of these gang members, especially the younger ones, they're, they turn to gangs because their home, home life is broken. Dads are often gone one way or another. Um, home life is broken. And so they find this family, as it were, in these gangs. And I was talking, and we're talking right now, with Frédéric Jean-Baptiste, who is with Changing the Way We Care and their work in Haiti, which is also a nation dealing with a lot of gang activity. Um, Frédéric, as, as you're trying to help out these families, again, what you're trying to do is instead of just let's put kids in orphanages, even though they don't have – their parents are alive and well or they have family that are alive and can be part of their care, you're trying to strengthen the family so they can support these children. And not only would it stop things such as uh, you know gang activity, but it, it goes on to – because the family is such an essential unit of culture – it helps to b- rebuild a culture, and you're, you, that's what you and your team are trying to do, right? Exactly, exactly. So with um, that – oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you we, – we've been talking about what you've been doing. Again, you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to even help orphanages to redirect the kids back with their families, exactly. to build the families up, to support them. You have training for them. You know, you have practical helps as well as practical resources, I guess you could say. But – how has it impacted? Can you tell me some stories of some families that have been impacted? Oh, yes. So um, to give you a, a general idea, our program is all, it's really, we approach it in three different aspects. So there's a community-based child protection. So it's working with the community um, so we can change um, their their attitudes and how they understand families and outside resources, for example, orphanages. But there's also the aspect of the transition. When we talk about transition is the work that we're doing with orphanages directly so mm-hmm. they can transform how they care for children and the support that they're giving, they can give it at home to the, to the family directly instead of separating children from their families. And through this transition, it also comes with family tracing because the children in orphanages, oftentimes we do not, sometimes, sometimes we do not have documents showing who their parents are. So in our team, it requires kind of an investigative work on the field to do family tracing, to do uh, once you identify the family, we can start the process of family reintegration. So it's three-pronged. There's the community-based approach. There's the family strengthening itself once we encounter families. Mm -hmm. And there's the transition with orphanages. And what we've seen, it's we, we have so many success stories um, specifically with the transformation of orphanages, for example, um, one key aspect in working with orphanages is identifying when when we talk to the children and the families once we trace them, is to identify the key reason for that separation in the first place. And there's an orphanage we um, with with which we worked in Kafuo, and the key we realized out of the 25 children who were in the in the orphanage, about 80% of them they had a disability. And the disability was the key reason why families were placing the children in the in the care of the mm-hmm. sisters in the orphanage. 
So in working with this orphanage for their transformation, it was to, so basically transforming from a residential care center, they became a nutritional um, re, 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 um, nutritional institution with rehabilitation services that the families were often need, they often needed and they did not have access to. So that is one way that the institution can continue being a key resource in the community, but the families also find the resources that they need while the children are at home. And specifically with families, because we offer this package of family strengthening with tuition support, vocational training, health education, um, we've seen children go back home and oftentimes the parents tell us, so let's say we work with um, Natalie, I'm just picking a random name. Mm -hmm. And then we go home with Natalie, we do the family tracing, we do mediation. It's a whole process. It takes about 18 months of monitoring as well um, to make sure that the place where the returning home, it, the family is being well adjusted. Let's say we go back home, with we go home to parole with Natalie. And at the time, that's when Perot was telling us, actually, I had other kids in other orphanages. And with, through the work and the learnings that I'm meeting with you guys, I want to go back and take those children out of the orphanages so they can come back home. And we've seen several stories similar to that and children graduating from vocational training, being um, opening um, hair salons, opening other businesses that are continue thriving in the communities. So this all these all always give us um, this is the positive feedback that kind of motivates us to keep on going even through this difficult context that we're going through right now in the country. Um, but we also keep in touch with families and in the in our connections with um, the community members as well. We were talking about the security situation. At times, they are the ones the families are the ones calling us and telling our social workers do not come to the field today because the area is on lockdown mm. and that is sometimes it is not yet on the news but with this connection through this connection that we've built with community members we do have we feel protected so that's how we adapt and as well we're able to continue doing the work on the field and it's that's the part that is rewarding knowing that the families feel supported and way beyond our intervention that they continue feeling um, they continue thriving because we know the key, the key point is that children should be at home. That's where the bright future starts. You know, again, Frederica, you, you, what you're doing is not just, you're not just looking at the person as important as you're looking at family structures, you're looking at bigger structures. You gotta, and this is long-term stuff. I mean, you, you can't, I'm going to ask you personally. I mean, you, in a difficult situation, you you must have incredible hope for your for your people. We have no choice. <laughs> we have to keep the faith. <laughs> There's that. There's that. What keeps you? I mean, what keeps you going? Really, th this is hard work. What keeps you going? It really is the seeing the uh, other the uh, our other colleagues how motivated that they, they are and the positive feedback that we receive from the community. But we also know that, um, again, it's knowing that if children need to, to, for children to achieve their God-given potential and build, help us build this great community and in microcosm, this great community, but bigger, this, this world in which we, they can contribute, that's what keeps us going, honestly. And if I had a key message here that I wanted to share is for, for the listeners who are currently supporting residential care facilities like orphanages, we encourage you to reach out to the orphanage to express your interest 
in supporting them to reintegrate children into safe and nurturing families. What a great um, idea. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frederica, thank you. Uh, Frederic Baptiste, uh, Jean Baptiste, I keep forgetting to put the Jean in there. What is, and I have French relatives, you know. I'm, as a matter of fact, my grandpa, my great great grandpa was Jean Baptiste Perrault. So, you know, I should know this, but Frederica, thank, thank you again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Paul Perrault. All right. Have Blessings. We'll be right back again. This is Faith Radio. Yes, we do. We need to be lambs that roar and eagles that soar, being Jesus to the world. Hope you feel that call this uh, this week and as you're heading into the weekend. Thank you again for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul. I've been filling in this week. Uh, she'll be back in on Monday. So blessings. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.